by tonight. So Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. I want to ask you as you're turning there, just left of the Psalms, have you ever tried getting to know somebody without talking to them? I have. I sold cell phones for about five years during seminary near California State University, Northridge, which has a large deaf and hard of hearing population, a large program as part of the school. And so there's a lot of people who will come from around the world to that school who are deaf or hard of hearing. And so I would sometimes have to sell a cell phone to somebody who I could not communicate with. And what we had to do is we had to write notes to each other to be able to communicate. Maybe some of you have experienced this as you've tried to just talk to somebody who can hear just fine, but they're not listening. They can't hear you because they're not listening. Just think about how hard it is to get to know things like where are you from if somebody doesn't answer that. You can't really act that one out. I mean, I guess you could. That would be a fun charades game, but it's going to be a little difficult. Uh, what's your favorite color? That one's a little easier. You could point to things in the room. What did you study in college? Where do you work? These are types of questions that the only way to get to know these things is to somehow have a form of communication with that person, whether it's through talking or writing or having words expressed. And what I want us to walk away with this morning <clears throat> is that we cannot have the kind of relationship with God, our Father, that the Bible calls us to have without prayer. We cannot have the type of relationship that the Bible calls us to with God, our Father, without prayer. And the God of the universe has invited us not just into his presence, not just into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He has invited us to talk to him at any time. Think about that. We will take a look at that at the very end of the sermon here, Lord willing, <clears throat> comparing the throne of grace with the throne of Artaxerxes, the king that we see in Nehemiah chapter two. I want to ask you a question, though. I have a quote here on the bottom. I want you to think about it. Who here does not want to, I forget, I don't have the headset. I need to talk into this. Who here does not have loved ones that they want to see come to know Christ as Savior? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe it's your neighbors. Who here in our church uh, one of the desires of our church, one of the missions of our church is that we would reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who here does not want that? And we've seen the Lord working in some great ways recently. But let me tell you, this quote is true. Take a look at that. I'm going to read it for you if you can't see it because of my head, since I'm kind of stuck right there. It says, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. That is true biblically. You can look at the book of Acts. That is true historically as you look at church history, including the spiritual awakenings that the Lord did in New England. Did you know that Vermont was kind of passed over with the first great awakening and the second great awakening, the only part of New England that did not see great revival? We need to be a people of united prayer. 
And when I say united prayer, I don't mean just praying together. I mean united in Christ. We're going to see how important that is, that we are coming to God through Christ. I mean seeking the Father's grace together in fellowship and teaching and evangelism. I mean united in mission, where we come from lots of different cultural and educational and social uh, and, and cultural backgrounds, and yet we are united in mission because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean united in dealing with conflict in the body biblically. I mean united in prayer, private and corporate. This was true for Nehemiah and this was true for us. All of the things I just mentioned are things that we will see in the book of Nehemiah. God would not have worked among his people the way he did. <clears throat> God would not have allowed them to build this wall in 52 days as we will see for his glory if they had not been united in prayer and united in the way that I just described. We're going to see all of those things come up, and yet they were united for God's glory. When I lived in New Mexico, I had a friend who was a farrier, which means that he made horseshoes. And my friend, when he would make a horseshoe, he would take certain measurements on that horse's hoof, hoof, I'm gonna say, <laughs> and then what he would do is he would take a, a piece of dark, cold iron and he would stick it in that fire that he had on the back of his truck. They have a little furnace now. They don't have a blacksmith shop, if you haven't seen this recently. And then once it got hot enough, he would pound it with that anvil so that it could be shaped to the correct form to do what it needed to do. That's what prayer does to us. Prayer makes us hot because prayer puts us into God's presence. And then once we are in God's presence, then sin is dealt with. We see God's glory. If we are coming to him because of Jesus Christ, we know that we have access to the throne of grace and then God pounds us with his anvil. It sounds painful and sometimes it is. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> we are celebrating a life this Thursday. The last few years, it was not an easy life. And yet the Lord was working even in Pat's life, and Jim was the first to tell me this, being shaped by the Master for his will. There's many of us in this room that have gone through things or that are going through things that we don't understand, but when we seek the Father's face in prayer, he prepares us for what he has for us in life. So as we continue in Nehemiah today, building a life of faith, today we're going to see Nehemiah's prayers, building a life of prayer. So I want you to take a look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying <clears throat> before the God of heaven. So I want to stop <clears throat> and ask the question, excuse me, it's these allergies this time of year. Why was Nehemiah so upset? Why was Nehemiah so upset? Why, would, why did he break down and weep and fast and pray before the God of heaven? Well, last week we saw the big picture of Nehemiah, which is that God always keeps his promises. And when Nehemiah heard of how the building of the walls had stopped, and in fact they were in ruin and the gates had been burned with fire, he sat down and wept because it seemed that God was not keeping his promises. You can listen to the sermon last week online if you want to get caught up on this. What had happened is God had taken his people captive to Babylon, which was far away from Israel, from 
Jerusalem. He had promised them from the very beginning of their formation as a nation that he would do this if they turned away from him. And the history of Israel was that they turned away from him again and again and again and again and again. And he warned them and he sent them prophets and he said, return to me and I will save you. And they refused. And so he took them. He kept his promise to discipline them. He took them into captivity in Babylon. Well, they were there for 70 years, and near the end of that time, the, the, uh, the kingdom of Persia took over Babylon. And we saw last week in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, that God kept his promise of not only disciplining his people, but of pouring out his grace upon them, of returning them to the land. And this was done in miraculous ways. We saw that in Ezra chapter 1, starting in verse 1 last week. And they rebuilt the temple. It was a glorious thing. They saw that God had kept his promises, but guess what happened? The work stopped. For 70 years, they had been in exile. And now we get to Nehemiah's time. It has been 65 years since God allowed his people to return to a bombed out, broken down city. And the people can't worship there. They can't worship at this temple that has been rebuilt, even though Ezra has come and showed them how to worship because the enemies have come in through those walls that are broken down. And we're going to meet those enemies all throughout the book of Nehemiah. We saw this happen in Ezra chapter 4. You could take a look at that later if you'd like. I mentioned it last week where it seems that there was a fresh stopping of the rebuilding of the walls. And so Nehemiah hears about that. That's probably what he heard when his brother came to him in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. And Nehemiah wept and he prayed and he prayed for a long time. It's what I want us to learn today. What did he do? Did he, did he run to Home Depot? As soon as he heard that those walls were broken down, did he just sit and cry? Did he call his best friend right away? No. He sat and he sought the face of the God of heaven. And he prayed for a long time. And we're going to see as we go through this that he not only prayed, he was also planning at the same time. But I want you to know if you take a look at Verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1, it gives you a date. Excuse me. And then if you take a look at chapter 2, which we'll really dig into next week, it gives you another date when Nehemiah went before the king. This was December to April. How many months are between December and April? Four months. For four months, Nehemiah has been praying and seeking God's face before he even considered doing something like this. Four months. What I want us to see first, let's go ahead and go to number one. There it is. Thank you, Joe. Is that we should pray long prayers. We should pray long prayers. And there's lots of things in the Bible that we can learn about prayer. I want to share with you today something that I learned when I was in fourth or fifth grade Sunday school. And it has helped me as I've gone to the Lord in prayer over my life and not sometimes been sure where to start this has never left my mind I've always come back to this and so I want to share it with you today it doesn't matter if you're a third grader it doesn't matter if you're you've been a Christian for 30 years you might need to be reminded of this it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five days this is one of the many ways in the Bible that we are taught that we can pray and we're going to see an example 
of Nehemiah doing this. So first is A, adoration. This is simply praise and worship is one way to put it. Take a look at verse 5. Nehemiah says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Do you notice what Nehemiah is doing there in verse 5? He's worshiping. He's adoring God. He's calling to mind who God is. He's telling God who he is. He's worshiping him. He's praising him. Nehemiah is reminding himself as he prays also about who God is. And if you don't know what to pray sometime, then do what Nehemiah does. I want you to notice in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, that Nehemiah is talking about things that are true about God from the word. He says, the God who keeps his covenant. If you don't know how to pray sometime, then, then start with Genesis 1.1. I praise you, Lord, because you are the God of creation. Pray things that are true about God from his word. Then you get to something like a promise as simple as John 3.16. I praise you, Lord, that you have redeemed me by the blood of your son, Jesus. There's so much in the Bible that we can start with to help us in adoring God and praising him. Next, take a look at verses 6 and 7. This is C, confession. Confession is simply saying that we have sinned, agreeing with God that we have sinned. Listen to what Nehemiah says in verse 6. He says, let your ear be attentive and your ears open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Do you notice what Nehemiah just did? Are you ever going to hear this in public? Outside the church walls? I have sinned. We have sinned. What you're going to hear is how wonderful you are. And yet, for all the years that we have tried to build up people's self-esteem by saying how wonderful they are, there's a kernel of truth in that. Each person is made in the image of God. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. But yet, there's no acknowledgement of sin. And if you don't have sin, you don't have a Savior. If you don't confess your sin, then you don't have a need for Jesus. If self-esteem was the answer, then why is the depression rate so high in our country? Why is the suicide rate so high in our community? People need to know that they have sinned, that they have broken God's law. We, you and I need to know that. It starts with the church. And we're not pointing fingers at people. We're coming alongside them saying, I'm a sinner too in need of a savior. I need Jesus just as much as you do. Will you trust in Jesus? He saved me. Let me tell you, I'm not perfect, but he's a great savior. I confess my sin to God. And notice he tells God what he has done wrong. Notice what Nehemiah says when he confesses. When was the last time you told God you had done wrong? Or that your church had done wrong. First John tells us that Christ will forgive that sin. First John tells us that Jesus died so that our sins can be forgiven. That's the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. 
Next, T, thanksgiving. This is to say thank you. And I want to start with verse 8. I have verses 9 and 10 written up there, but take a look at verse 8. It says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Don't be afraid to remind God of his promises in prayer. You see this in the Bible all the time. Take a look at the Psalms. This is how people pray so often in the Bible. It's not that God has forgotten his promises. It's that we are calling to him based on his promises, based on his promises that are in the word. When I prayed with Jim Hardman, I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this because Jim was an open book when he was here with our church. I met him on Wednesday. He was in and out of cell reception. His sons couldn't get a hold of him. The care home couldn't get a hold of him. I had to meet him in the parking lot to tell him that his wife, Pat, had died. And when Jim and I prayed inside her room a little bit later, Jim did what he always does. You heard him pray up here for years. He prayed God's promises that are in his word. There was scripture just pouring out of that man as he prayed to the Lord. I need Jim to teach me how to pray. That's one of the things we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah. I took a class on prayer in seminary, but you know what? I need Jim Hardman to remind me of how I'm supposed to pray. We need each other. We need to pray with each other, not just in church. We need to pray with each other in coffee shops. We need to pray with each other in restaurants. We need to pray with each other in the park. We need to pray with each other in our homes. We need to pray with each other in the grocery store. We are, we are the people of God. We can pray long prayers. We're, that's what we're seeing in Nehemiah right here. He prayed for four months. And yet we're going to see in just a moment that we need to pray short prayers. Well, back to T, Thanksgiving. What might be harder here to see than in the Psalms is that there's notes of Thanksgiving here in verses 9 and 10 of what God has done for his people, what he has promised to do for his people. They're both thanking God for what he's done and thanking him for what he will do. So that's a really good thing to think about if you're trying to think of what do I thank God for? Thank him for what he has done and thank him for what he will do. And you see that. Take a look at verse 9. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah is remembering what God will do. He's thanking God for what he will do. And then in verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He is thanking God for what he has done for his people right there. So we, thanks, we give thanksgiving to God. We give him thanks. Lastly, I'm going to teach you a new word. We don't use this word very often. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. Verse 11, supplication. It's just simply to request something. I would probably change the word since we don't use it nowadays, but then it wouldn't be X, and that'd be kind of hard to remember. So we're just going to keep it, and just like we learn new vocabulary on the TV or on Facebook, we can learn new vocabulary in older translations of the Bible. 
So the word is supplication. It means to request something. Take a look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. We're going to see the answer to Nehemiah's prayer next week in Nehemiah chapter 2. But I want you to ask the question, I want you to notice here, do you ever pray such specific prayers like Nehemiah did right here at the end with his supplication? He's requesting something of God, something very specific, that God will give him success in building these walls. I want to ask you, have you ever prayed such specific prayers that if God answers it, he's going to get the glory for it? Because it's a prayer that he has answered. I want to tell you an example of that. I don't remember ever sharing this at church here. Maybe I have. That's okay. When we moved to Vermont, we had to basically leave all of our possessions. Uh, It's just too expensive to move things over 3,000 miles. And especially the things that we had just weren't worth moving. So we boiled all of our possessions down to one parking space. We had two of those pods. Some of you helped me empty them. And, uh, and it fit in one parking spot. And it went pretty high. And so I was really confident that we could fit certain things in those pods, but I was a little over-optimistic. And the kids had been watching their things be given away and sold for weeks. <clears throat> and the night that we were packing those pods, there were some dump trucks, big plastic dump trucks. You have to remember my kids were three years younger. Really cool, really fun to play with. I knew we were going to have dirt in Vermont. We had a cement patio where we lived before, not much dirt or grass. And we were going to bring those dump trucks to Vermont, and I didn't see why they couldn't fit in there. Well, they couldn't. It was just too full. And it was just too much for the kids. I had to give away those dump trucks to somebody who was there helping us uh, move that night for their children. And everybody left, and we sat down on the curb, and we just started to cry together. And I gathered my family, and I prayed, and I said, God, you will more than supply all of our needs in Vermont, including, I don't know if I prayed this, but in my head I was thinking, including things like dump trucks. You'll provide for everything we need. Well, we moved here, and we still didn't have the dump trucks, and I kind of forgot about them, and the kids were playing with other things, but the Cox family announced to us that they were moving right after we moved here. Some of you knew the Coxes. And so one Sunday, I was standing right out here talking to somebody after the service. It was the Coxes last Sunday with us. And they said, you know, we have a couple things in our car we'd like to give to you guys because we're moving. Would you mind if I gave your kids a few toys? I said, no, not at all. (laughs) Guess what I saw pull out of their minivan from across the parking lot? Beautiful yellow dump trucks made of metal. They were a lot nicer than what we had before. God showed us that day that he cares about dump trucks, plastic dump trucks. He answers prayer. 
He answers supplication. That's that word there. To ask something, you pray things that are so specific that only God gets the glory when he answers that prayer. Take a look lastly just for a moment at verse 4, chapter 2. Nehemiah's first prayer in chapter 1 is a great model for us of this Acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But then chapter 2 is a great example that this is not the only way to pray in the Bible. Those are the longer prayers, but let's go to number 2 there. Joe's ahead of the game here. Man, I'm going to miss you, Joe. So since you heard verses 1 to 5 read for scripture reading, I'm just going to summarize what's happened. Remember, I've already mentioned that Nehemiah has moved to prayer for four months when he realizes what has happened to Jerusalem and the fact that it's been 65 years and the walls are still in shambles and the people can't go there and worship God freely because of the state of the city. And then Nehemiah finally gets his chance before the king. And I want you to notice something. Nehemiah doesn't say, Lord, I've been praying for four months. I'm going for it. That's what I would have done. Take a look at what Nehemiah does. Verse 4, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king. Now, do you think Nehemiah got down on his knees in prayer in front of the king? Just a moment, king. No. He had been doing that for four months in his house. He'd been doing that for four months, maybe even with some of God's people in exile. We don't exactly know, but he had been praying and planning for four months. And yet when it came time to ask this big request, he prayed. It was like a two-second prayer. Notice, it's right there in verse 4. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, and this reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. This is just what Nehemiah did. We're going to see as we go throughout the book of Nehemiah, example after example after example. I didn't have time today because we want to have time for communion. I could show you all throughout Nehemiah, but we're going to see those as we go throughout. He prays, he prays, he prays, he prays. And one of the things that has endeared Nehemiah to me is I've spent time in this book is that Nehemiah was not a pastor. Nehemiah was not an Old Testament priest. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Now we'll talk about what that means next week. We'll be taking a look at Nehemiah chapter 2 next Sunday, but let me put it this way. In our modern terms today, think of it this way. Nehemiah was an accountant. Nehemiah was a real estate agent. Nehemiah was a football coach. Nehemiah was an administrative assistant. He was a financial manager. He was a student. Nehemiah was an EMT. He was a restaurant owner. He was a mom. He was a business owner. He was a caregiver. He was a physical therapist. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that Nehemiah literally had all of those jobs. What I'm saying is he had the jobs that you have. Let's just say that he worked on furnaces, right? Nehemiah had the jobs that you have. He was a, a, a normal guy. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. And yet he's such an example for me and for you of a person of prayer and someone who God used greatly because he was a man of prayer. He's like every man, woman, boy, girl, one of 
God's people who God uses greatly because they pray. In Tim Keller's book on prayer, which is an excellent book, what I've read so far, I got into it as far as I could this week. Tim and Kathy Keller talk about, well, Tim Keller talks about a time where in his ministry, he just realized he had to pray. He was teaching the Psalms. He was really convicted about his lack of understanding prayers. He taught the Psalms. Then he uh, was dealing with the after effects of 9-11 in New York City. Can you imagine being a pastor there during that time? And then his wife, Kathy, was diagnosed, well, she was suffering from Crohn's disease. And then Tim Keller was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so Kathy, his wife, approached him and she said, Tim, we need to pray together every single day. And this is what she said. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? She's such a great example of a wife submissively, lovingly approaching her husband. I've read enough and heard enough about their relationship that I'm sure she said this in a really kind of joking way. She has a sense of humor, but she got to her husband's heart. She said, would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we are facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. I've been convicted as I've studied prayer this week from Nehemiah. I'm committing to that with Melanie, to pray either every morning or every single night together. We often do, but not every night. Is it okay to confess that to you? So we're committing to that. Jerry doesn't know this yet. We're meeting tonight. I printed out a 40 days of prayer for church revitalization, a devotional that Jerry and I as elders are going to be praying together over the next 40 days. We need to pray together. And so the question remains as we wrap up here, how do I know that I will be accepted when I come to God in prayer? How do I know that I will be accepted when I come to God in prayer. You have a verse up there, and I want you to think about the difference between Artaxerxes' throne, which we'll look at next week, why Nehemiah could have died by bringing this request to Artaxerxes, and the throne of grace. Think about the difference between these two thrones. Nehemiah is afraid to go to the throne. Scripture tells us to come to the throne. Nehemiah doesn't know if the king will receive him. Jesus died so the king could receive you. Take a look at that verse behind me, Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What the author of Hebrews is saying there is hold on to Jesus. He is the way that you can go to God. He is the way that you can go to God and know that you will be accepted. If you came here this morning and you're not sure where you stand before God, I want to ask you to just let these communion elements pass you by. No one's going to judge you for that. And if they do, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm just going to say it right now. You let these communion elements pass by you. If you're not sure where you stand before God, and there's a track we have right there that you can grab what is the gospel, 
that will explain to you how Jesus came to die for your sins and for my sins and to rise from the dead so that you can have a relationship with God. And I'd love to talk with you about that today if you're ready for that. And otherwise, if you're trusting in Christ this morning, then you take this bread, you take this cup. We're going to have a, a time, a moment before we take this where we can pray as I'm praying. You can confess any sins to God and you will know that you are accepted because Jesus has passed through the heavens. That means he hasn't just died. That means he rose from the dead. That means he ascended back to the Father and he stands at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for you and I. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. God, we are people who need your grace. We are people just like Nehemiah who have sinned. Really, there's no church on earth who is full of people who haven't sinned because we're in a fallen world. But we don't just shrug that off, Lord. We want to take sin seriously. You took it so seriously, you killed your son so that we can run to you right now. And we remember Jesus' sacrifice this morning as we take this bread, as we take this cup. May we not take prayer lightly. We confess that sin to you, Lord. I do. I confess it on behalf of our church as much as it applies, Lord. We ask you to forgive us and to help us to be a church that prays together. We know that we need to be seeking you privately and corporately, Lord. And so we come before you right now knowing that you receive us, that you forgive all of our sins if we come to you on based on the blood of Jesus. Help us to be people of prayer. In Jesus' name.